don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't the thing that first, I mean, we'll get into the actual, you know, I want to talk a lot about the G League because, you know, the Blazers, as we've talked about on here before, are getting a G League team finally this year. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that my audience is going to become a lot more interested in. But the thing that I was first just struck by reading the book is the level of access that you got. Like, I, 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 think, I think the NBA is... I, better than most sports leagues as far as media access goes. Like, I think they're better than, like, the NFL and, you know, some other leagues. But I have – it's so rare, especially these days, that somebody gets the level of access that you got in this book. You – as far as I can tell, you traveled with the team. You were in their team meetings. You had, like, detail from, like, players' exit interviews that make me think you were actually in the room for those exit interviews. Like, yeah. how – this is, like – I mean, the way I would probably sell it, like, like – the last time I can remember reading an, a book about, like, the NBA or an NBA-adjacent thing where somebody got this level of access was the Jack McCallum book, uh, Seven Seconds or Less, about the Suns. Like, mm-hmm. how did you convince, like, how hard of a sell was it to the Birmingham squadron, the Pelicans G League team, to let you just be completely embedded with them and see everything? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I, I agree. I think the NBA generally you get better access than pretty much any other league. But even then, um, you know, it's it's pretty protected and, and can be pretty limiting. Mm-hmm. We um, had to. But, I remember we had to fight to get locker rooms back open after COVID. For sure, yeah, I remember that being a huge thing. And but we got them, so right. And, and I kind of knew going in that, like, in order to really like write about life in the G league. I had to kind of live life in the G league and, and be fully embedded and get kind of the full experience. So, um, you know, that was kind of a deal breaker in terms of just like, if I can't get the access, like, you know, what do I really have here? Uh, but what's really refreshing about the G league is it just, it doesn't get covered very much. And so when I reached out to the team, uh, they were like excited about the idea and totally open to, um, pretty much giving me full access to everything. I mean, like you said, I was uh, obviously games, practices, um, like team meetings, film sessions, team dinners. I traveled with them. Uh, Pretty much any like team event they were having, they were willing to let me just kind of be a fly on the wall and and take it all in. So, um, I mean, that's also just a, a credit to the team that I was with and the coaching staff and the players just being open and, and so welcoming. But, um, yeah, the access was incredible. And that, and that really, um, I mean, you read the book, but that kind of just made the book what it is. So um, huge shout out to the squadron and then their affiliate, the Pelicans as well, because when I first reached out, they kind of ran it up the flagpole uh, and had to get the okay as well from New Orleans. And, you know, they were open to, to me being there as well. So uh, it was great. Well, Griff's pretty media friendly. I'm not surprised he totally, was yeah. open for stuff like this, but uh I think the I think another part of that is that when you're you know the G League the thing you said about it not being covered but then also like a lot of these players are not even a guy like Joe Young who's one of the four guys you focused on in the book who has played in the NBA before for multiple mm-hmm. years I think a lot of these players who aren't you know like like LeBron or Steph Curry or whoever 
are in a position where they can say no to interviews if they want to because they get a ton of requests and they don't need the exposure. A lot of these guys, like a Jared Harper or a Zylan Cheatham or a or a Malcolm Hill, like who are the guys you talk about in the book, they it would help them to have their names out there. So I'm sure they were like, oh, you want to get my full story and put it in, get it in full detail in the book? Like, yes, please, like, get as much as you want. 100%, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, like you said, like, the, they're just not the guys that get covered, that get talked about. Um, and I, you know, made it very clear early on that, like, I was really passionate about sharing their stories. Um, I've always kind of been drawn to the underdogs, like the players who, are making 37,000 a season as opposed to the, you know, NBA superstars and kind of grinding to, to pursue their dreams. So um, once I, I kind of, you know, took a few weeks for them to warm up to me and really understand what I was doing. But once they uh, kind of saw that I just was passionate about sharing their stories and wanted to uh, kind of let the world know what's going on in the G league and what's the, the path for a G league player uh, they were totally on board. So um, again, just having that access and having them being open to me uh, made the book what it is. So, um, you know, huge shout out to the players as well. And they got pretty vulnerable with you mm-hmm. in this. Like, the, like there was like there was this one chapter kind of towards the end where you were talking to Joe Young, who is the only one of the four guys that the book is focused on that ended up not getting a call up at all during that season the other three either you know in the case of Malcolm Hill actually caught on permanently with the Bulls and then the other two you know were up and down but they were in the league a couple of times over the course of the season Joe Young did not get called up at all and there was one point in the book where he's just like sitting in an empty gym and thinking about like is this worth it should I even continue doing it and yeah it's just it just shows the full spectrum of some of these guys are, you know, end up making it. A lot of them don't. Even the guys who are, you know, there, there are a lot of players that are talented enough to be in the NBA, but it's just like mm-hmm. the thing that I think this book really illustrates for people who maybe know this in the back of their heads, but don't like, you know, see it in as much detail is there's such little that separates a guy who has a 10-year career in the NBA as like a role player from somebody who's maybe just as talented as them or better but just doesn't get the right breaks or doesn't have the right, you know, have the right person in their corner or whatever the case may be. No, hundred uh, percent. And I'm glad you highlighted that scene. Cause that, um, that to me was kind of the heart of the book. I mean, just the, the raw emotion of a guy who, uh, you know, went through the grind was doing everything within his power to get back and was right there. Um, it just was even for me following it and, you know, trying to just take notes and get everything that I could, it's hard not to just feel for, for the player and, and feel the emotion of a moment like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of throughout the season. You're, you're on the sidelines and try to take a back seat, but you're also, you know, it's, it's impossible not to root for these guys totally. with all they're putting into it. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and what you said about just it being like the margins being so thin, like it, I think most G leaguers would tell you, and, and even the guys who have made it that, um, you know, there's not a huge difference between the bottom half of the NBA and the top half of the G League. Uh, a lot of these spots are, you know, these players are kind of interchangeable. Um, and so you really can't afford to make like any mistakes, because if you do, um, you know, there's another guy who's very similar in, uh, you know, style, fit, talent, uh, who can basically just slot in. Um, and the way that NBA teams look at it, it's just like, you know, we might as well take the guy who hasn't made any you know however minor 
misstep at all. So uh, it is crazy just to think the amount of pressure that these guys are under to just like essentially be perfect uh, in every way, like on the court, of course, like hustling at all times, not turning the ball over, um, you know, stuff like that, but off the court as well, like any yeah. little thing that could be construed as like, you know, this might be a problem in the locker room. It's just enough for a, a scout or a coach or an executive to just cross you off a list. So um, it is, and that's something that surprised me even. I mean, you knew uh, just like how difficult it was to make it, but how how little you can afford to mess up was shocking even to me. And even if, you, if people want to know like how little of these mess ups we're talking about, when you get to the G League showcase in Las Vegas, which I was there that year, we can talk about that a little bit because yeah. that was one of the wildest NBA events Crazy, I've ever covered, man. the 21 showcase. But like they, you know, there was like a team meeting before the showcase where the coaching staff basically tells all the players if you get seen walking around with like a Chick fil A bag. Really? That might make uh, that you might get randomly spotted by an NBA scout who just happens to be in the lobby of the hotel and is like, "Oh, this person was eating Chick Fil A." Like they might not be taking their you know nutrition seriously. Then and then that's why you don't get an NBA deal, and that's the difference between you not getting a shot and not or getting you know catching on somewhere and then having a twelve year NBA career as a role player. Like that's how thin the no, margins man. are. Like the scene, it's like crazy. Like it's kind of like the, what I think the comparison I make in the book is like when like college admissions are going through. Oh yeah, like basically identical applications. They're just they're searching for reasons to to eliminate one over the other. So if they can find something, they're not they're not really looking for a reason to sign you. They're kind of looking for a reason to not sign you because they right. just their lists are huge. So they're really just trying to kind of cancel guys out in a way. Um, and something as small as that, I mean, you just want to pick up a slice of pizza after the game and you think no one's watching, like somebody's probably That's watching a red flag. And, and people talking, it's a red flag. So, uh, yeah, I really do hope that the book captured just like how much, uh, you have to think about and how much obviously that adds to the pressure on you as a player. It's pretty crazy. The Joe Young piece of it is actually really fascinating to me because he's a guy that and I remember because I, I went to Oregon also, so I followed his career, you know, a little okay, bit when he was yeah. with the, when he was with the Pacers. But uh, he the 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 kind of scouting report on him, which you get into a lot in the book, mm -hmm. is that maybe part of the reason he didn't stick was because he had a bad attitude or whatever. And a lot of that was because basically when he was with the Pacers and he was a rookie on a second round pick contract, he was hanging out with Paul George basically and going and buying, you know, shopping at the same stores as Paul George, who was the star of the team and was yeah. driving kind of a similar type of car to Paul George, which is not really like out of out of all the things that you could say, oh, we don't want this guy in our organization. Wait, you know, it's not like he, you know, he's a bad guy or he's, you know, a, you know, a bad teammate or he's, you know, a, you know not a bad influence in the locker room. But it's just like, oh, this guy is maybe spending his money a little bit too early in his career to be able to to do that. That's somebody we don't want on our team. And that's why the guy washes out and goes to China and plays over there, makes a lot of money, but wants to get back to the NBA. And when, you know, when he gets back to, you know, the Birmingham squadron, when he's playing in the G League, he's like, look, I realize I maybe got a little ahead of myself the first time and he goes above and beyond to do everything they ask him to do and be a role player and, you know, not make it about himself. And he still doesn't get a shot because people had that perception of him from before. Right. And I think to your first point, like it has nothing to do really with like 
putting a ball in a hoop. It, it has nothing to do with basketball. It has a lot to do with one. I think Joe almost acting like he had a bigger role, like he was the star when he wasn't. Which, right. Uh, I, I mean, think in a, way, a lot of guys. Totally. And, and I think it's evolved. Like that was, you know, that's eight years ago um, and it's changed through the years for sure. But I think just the fact that he's acting like he's a star when he's not is maybe a sign of, is he going to be willing to accept a role or, um, you know, does he have too big of an ego? Uh, and just like a sign of, in the eyes of NBA front offices, like immaturity. And uh, again, just has nothing to do with kind of the work that he was putting in, how he was performing when he did get little opportunities. Um, and then I think what his story illustrates is just like, you know, as hard as it is to make the NBA, once you've made it and then fallen out, it's even harder to get back because uh, reputations really stick and labels really follow you everywhere, uh, no matter how much you've changed and no matter how much you've evolved on and off the court. Um, you know, little little errors when you're on the margins can kind of just be it. So um, not only do you have to kind of take advantage of every opportunity when you're trying to get there, but once you're there, uh, especially in the early stages, you also just can't mess up. So um, it is insane just just to think about like how perfect, how close to perfect you have to be, um, you know, which includes like getting in extra work and watching extra film. And it's just like the amount that a player on the fringe has to do compared to a first round lottery pick. Uh, it's just like, you know, it doesn't compare because in order to make an impression and to, to stick uh, as a G leaguer, you just have to do, you know, double, triple the amount of work. So it's crazy. What was for you as covering it? Because I know you, even though you're not an employee of the team, you basically for all intents and purposes were a part of the team during this book yeah. because you were going everywhere with them and flying on their planes and being in all of their team meetings. What was, I, I referenced this earlier, the, uh, 2021 G League showcase in Las Vegas, which I covered. And from my end, it was just one of the most surreal things I've ever been at covering the NBA because that was right when Omicron was really just, you know, mm-hmm. getting through everything. And like every team, every NBA team was like having an outbreak. And I, you literally like players would be getting pulled off the floor at halftime of these G League games to go get an NBA call up. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was it, was it like? Insane. What was like, what was that like for you from the teams end? Just you know, observing all just all of that and just how how hectic and how chaotic and just how up in the air yeah. everything was. Well, so I, I think the first thing I should say, uh, just to clarify, because my last name coincidentally is the no, same I know you you have an like author's note at the beginning Slaughter. of the book about so I should this. Say, yes. like 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 where I was like kind of a part of the team. I think there was an impression that I was like literally like the team like the owner's son or something which is just not true it's just a fun coincidence it's a crazy coincidence but um yeah i mean that time uh you know obviously for the world at large but it was just incredibly tense um and also like i had a sense that this was you know this was it like guys were going to start getting called up because it was just every nba team was decimated they needed uh players to not only like come up but also to play pretty much right away um, but then you have it kind of like overlapping with the, the biggest G league event of the year, which is this showcase, uh, where basically representatives from every NBA team come to scout G league players. Uh, and that's when, you know, call-ups tend to go up in the wake of that event. So, but like basically all this was happening within a two week, you know, window. Uh, and so they changed all the rules for showcase in terms of like access, in terms of there was no fans, you had to wear masks. Uh, there was no yeah. like 
you know, hanging out or having dinners and stuff like that, because you had to be that careful. I mean, Omicron was spreading at an insane rate. So, um, yeah, it, it, what it really did was just added another layer of like craziness to what's always like a crazy event. Um, and yeah, watching kind of, and there's also that kind of, you know, you don't want to get COVID. You don't want to put anybody at, at risk of getting COVID. So I was being like extra, extra careful. Um, and yeah, it, it was insane because it, it kind of, you knew it was going to be this intense environment. And then it turns into like, there's no fans. It's just the players. And there's this like looming one, could you get sick and, and trying to prevent yourself from getting sick? And two, like they're calling up guys left and right. Uh, this could really be the best shot I ever have to make it to the NBA. So um, yeah, man, I mean, you nailed it and you were there. It was just like, I've never experienced something. So to me, like just the tension in the gym, um, you could feel it. Like you could feel how much these guys wanted it and, and kind of them realizing how close they were uh, on top of just like all of the, you know, COVID madness that was happening. So that was crazy. Well, the thing that I remember about that was usually, and I've gone to, I went, to, I went last year also when kind of mm -hmm. COVID for better or worse was not really being treated as like a thing anymore. And it was kind of back to the normal version of what that event is. Right. Normally that's the type, cause this, this event happens in basically the week before Christmas. And it's sort of the unofficial opening of trade season Totally. Because it's like two months before the trade deadline. It's right after December 15th when players who signed over the summer become trade eligible. And so normally, you know, for somebody like me who's a you know reporter covering a team, that's where you go and you talk to like executives and agents about like, oh, you know, what, what are teams looking for? Who, you know, who, who's right. talking to who, you know, who's looking at trades? The only thing anybody was talking about that year among like team executives was is the NBA going to shut down again if, if they can't get this COVID thing under control? Yeah. You know, how are we going to take, you know, safety precautions? It was just a, a thing, like a case of, you know, of just like this being a cloud over the whole thing, which uh, thankfully I think we're at a place with COVID now where it's not completely gone, but I think it's to the point where like enough people are vaccinated and it's like enough out in the world that like, it's not yeah. as much of a thing anymore. But like, I literally remember I was, I was just walking between the gyms and I happened to see out of the corner of my eye, like, so uh, Nick Stauskas was playing on the Nuggets uh, G League team that year. And oh, yeah. I just was walking in a back hole, a back hallway between the two gyms. I saw Nick Stauskas and Tim Connolly, who was the GM of the Nuggets at the time, is obviously with the Timberwolves now. Mm -hmm. The two of them were talking to Masai Ujiri. And then, like, 10 minutes later, I get the Shams tweet notification that Nick Stauskas agreed to a 10-day contract with the, with the Raptors. So it's like, literally, like you, these guys are just, like, getting pulled. Literally, during games, guys are getting pulled out of games because an NBA team needs a body because they just had three guys test positive for COVID. Yeah, and Stauskas, that's, it's crazy to bring that up because he was playing for, like you said, the Grand Rapids Gold, which was the uh -huh. affiliate of the Nuggets, and that was who the squadron who were following were supposed to play. And they, they prepared as if Stauskas was going to play because why wouldn't they? And then, like, literally 10 minutes before the game, they find out, like, oh, like, you know, one of their best players is not going to be there. And his story gets even crazier because I'm pretty sure he, he reports to Toronto and gets COVID. And that happens to a couple of guys in, in your book, like Zylan oh Cheatham gets man. called up by the, by the heat and he spends a couple, he doesn't actually get in a game for them, but he spends a couple of days like at practice and he's all excited about it. He's learning from Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. Yeah. And it's like the dream opportunity for him. And then like six, he's like six days into his 10 day contract. The heat are in San Antonio. 
I think if I'm yep. if, unless I'm getting this confused with like, no, a no, similar no, story, but like, right. but like the Heat are in San Antonio and he finds out that he tests positive for COVID. And so he has to just like isolate in a hotel for 10 days in San Antonio. And this one shot that he actually gets to be in the NBA gets cut short because he got COVID. Yeah. And it goes from this, like, obviously he's living his dream. He he gets this 10 day contract to like the reality of not only like, do I have COVID and am I stuck in a hotel room, but I'm stuck in a hotel room in the middle of nowhere without any real, like, I have no idea what's next for my career now, like what this did for my career. Um, and yeah, he, he explained to me just him being really just alone in this hotel room on New Year's, like like ushering in the new year uh, by himself, having just been, or, you know, basically gotten a taste of his dream and then had it ripped away by something completely out of his control. So uh, I think there was a feeling at that time, like if you can go back to just like, it almost being inevitable. I mean, that they had a game canceled, I believe, the Heat, because it was like every single player. And then you go to practice, you're you're literally guarding these guys, and then the next day they they have COVID. So uh, I think there was a feeling that like this is very likely, but it didn't change the emotions in terms of like I can't believe I got this shot, and it basically got ripped away from me because of Omicron. So um, yeah, and, and again, like I you know I picked a random. G League season to follow, and this ended up being such a huge part of it. Um, so it certainly added kind of drama that I didn't expect to, you know, kind of the the heart of the story. So that was a insane time for the sports world. Did you stick with the squadron the entire time, or did you, when some of these guys got called up, like did you at any point break out and go to Atlanta to go watch, you know, go see one of Malcolm Hill's games or? Mm-hmm go to Chicago when he got called up by the Bulls or go to Utah with Zylan Chetham? Or did, did, did you just stay with the G League team the whole time or did you break off to go to any of those guys when those guys got called up? It's a great question, Sean, because that period was so chaotic. And the, like, all of a sudden I'm thinking like, okay, like maybe I'll follow one guy to the NBA. If that happens, I, you know, I'll be able to figure it out. And then everything, every, people start getting up, called up left and right. And I'm like, where am I supposed to go? Like, what do I do? <laughs> um, and so it was like truly just chaos. And I kind of had to make these decisions like on a whim. Um, luckily like the G league has a break after showcase, kind of like a Christmas break. Uh-huh. So there was no like squadron events going on for, I want to say like a week or, you know, a week and a half. So right after the showcase, I was able to follow two of the players who got called up Malcolm to Atlanta uh, and Zylan to Miami, which turned out to definitely be the right decision. Because I think one of the craziest things to observe is just how like drastic the differences between the G league and the NBA I mean, it is yeah. true that it's it's one step away, but when you see it, it, it feels like it's like a million steps away. I mean, like you go from uh, the squadron, we're practicing at Birmingham Southern, which is a, a division three college, uh, working out at a, like basically the gym that, you know, a student could just pop in at any time and, you know, use the bench press after Zylan. And then all of a sudden he's at, in Miami at the Heat's like state-of-the-art facility. And instead of playing in front of, you know, a thousand fans, he's playing in front of 20,000. So, and it's just like one game you can be in the G league and the next day you're, you're experiencing that. So um, it is just like, I wasn't aware that I would even get the opportunity to, to see that change. So like, I definitely felt like I had to take advantage of it once those guys did get called up and it turned out to be the right decision because seeing that stuff up close, it, it really kind of drives home, you know, how, 
how big the dream is and how different the dream is from where you are. And it's not even just the differences in the facilities either, because you get into when Zylan Sheetham first gets to Miami, you know, he's practicing with the G League team and, you know, guys are messing up drills and, you know, everybody's like, oh, let's just do this over. And it's like, okay, if guys don't know the sets because the G League is all about development and just like getting stuff right. He gets to Miami and everybody just even like the guys on the heat who are like not even in the rotation Everybody knows the sets. Nobody's messing anything up. And he's just like, uh, I just got here. I have to get right into the flow. I can't mess anything up or else I'm never going to get a chance to play. And this is my shot at the NBA. <laughs> like, it's right. so wild just to, it kind of reminds me, and this is like a totally different level. It's like G League to NBA, but then also just like up and coming stars to superstars. I hear all these, you know, stories of back, you know, the first, you know, those those Olympic teams in like the mid 2000s where like, LeBron and Carmelo, when they're young, go to, you know, play in the Olympics and they are around like a Kobe or a Chauncey Billups or some of these veterans are like, oh, this is how hard I have to work to get to these guys level. Totally. Yeah. I think the way Zylan phrased it to me is like, that was the first time he'd ever been nervous at like a shoot around. I mean, he's at shoot around, which, you know, I went to every shoot around with the squadron. It's supposed to be like a chill, you know, we're kind of walking through it. Guys are in sweatpants. It's like, it's all right. We're just, you know, you mess it up. Oh, let's run to that back. Like whatever. If, like if you get to the NBA, especially in Miami where things, you know, heat culture, all that stuff, right. it's very totally. buttoned up. Um, and Spolster really does not mess around. Like if you mess something up, it's not like my bad. It's like, get off the court. Like, what are you doing? Like, we'll just, pu- we'll just get somebody else who does, who isn't going to mess this up. And there's your shot right there. Like, yeah, yeah like get off the court. And, uh, and so he, I think he emerged from that like experience with like a new appreciation for like, okay, you know, for as serious as I take basketball, like this is how serious it is once you get to the next level, especially like, you know, organization like Miami, Uh, if you want to like create a winning culture, that's the environment that you foster. Like there's no mistakes. There's no oops, my bad. It's just like, like if you're not prepared, get the hell off the court and we'll, we'll find somebody who is so. Uh, yeah, that definitely stood out to me too. The other thing I really liked about the book is you, it isn't just like a straight, this is what happened through this season. You kind of break out into, and this is something that I think, the reason I think everybody should go read this book is because this is, it's so hard to find something. And I was, we were talking about this a little bit off air beforehand, but like, it's so hard to find an aspect of the NBA that hasn't been done in terms of like being written about in a book or being covered extensively. And you really go into a lot of, you know, the history of the G league and like David Stern starting a minor league. And like originally there was no, you know, there were like five teams and like all 30 NBA teams would like share among the teams and they'd be all these weird places. And like, there's this one that I think my favorite story in the entire book, and I don't want to spoil too much. My favorite part of the book was there was a, there was a season probably 15 years ago or something where one of the G league teams, or I guess NBA development league, as it was, I guess called at the time, they got their jerseys all shipped to the right, uh, gym. They didn't have their full supply of shorts. And so teams, so players, when they were subbing in and out of games, literally had to share pants. And that was, when I heard that story, I had to confirm that like five times. You're just like, there's, there's no way somebody is just telling you this. And like, there's no way that's true. And then you were like, but there's this, but there's this 
this mantra that just kind of keeps getting repeated throughout the book about all these crazy travel stories and all this crazy like logistical stuff that you know NBA teams fly charter they stay in the most five-star you know upscale hotels G League teams fly commercial they stay at like a holiday inn or something they aren't they aren't they don't have those same accommodations and there's this mantra that's just like that's the G League right yeah I'm glad you brought up that story honestly because that's like my favorite too I mean there were guys literally the, they didn't have enough shorts, so there were guys on the sideline. They were wearing towels. Uh-huh. They were wearing like compression shorts and towels. And then when they <laughs> would check in, they would change on the bench before going in. And this is something that just flew under the radar because nobody was was covering the D League at the time. Um, and yeah, I think to your point about just like nobody writing about it. I mean, that's really what was the inspiration. Like I had been covering the NBA. I worked for Slam previously, mm-hmm. um, and just was surprised at how little was known about the G league. Like it's, you know, it's, it's fairly new. It is just over 20 years old. Um, But still like, this is a a league that's producing players that are having huge impacts in the NBA. um, And it's just not covered at all. So uh, yeah, I I think that that was definitely a big driving force behind the book was like, you know, I can kind of be the first to shed a light on this league and um, you know, spotlight, one, the history of it, which I think is, is obviously unknown. And then, uh, you know, I think the heart of it is people pursuing their, their dreams and trying to get to the NBA. So, uh, yeah, definitely was shocked at how little was known about it. And hopefully uh, this brought to life a, a little bit of it for people. So, What was your personal craziest travel experience during the process of reporting this book? Great question, Matt. Um, you know, it's a lot better, as different as it is from the NBA. I mean, yeah, the G League teams fly commercial. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, you could be on a flight with the squadron. Uh, and yeah, it's it's very different from the NBA, but it's even, it's a lot better than it was 20 years ago. So some of the craziest travel stories I heard were, you know, from the early history of the league. Uh, there's one that I highlight when the team was in, uh, they were in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and they had a game, so they had a, a night game. Uh, no, I'm sorry, they were in Memphis. They had to get to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They had a night game, uh, which was supposed to basically a travel day, and then a day game. So one day to basically get to Sioux Falls. Um, and they woke up the morning of their travel day and found out that their flight was canceled. Um, and the weather was bad, and you know, basically it's the scramble to get the team to Sioux Falls because and Sioux Falls is not exactly like an airport where there's going to be a ton of direct flights or there's like six gates at the airport, right? So it, it's very hard to get there as it is. Like they were connecting through Dallas, I believe. Uh, so it was their connection that got canceled. So um, basically, what they end up doing is they are not able to get the whole team on one itinerary. So they divide the team into like four different itineraries, which are not at all like equal in convenience. Like some of them are right just awful. Like one of them I think was included like three flights and then a, you know, a drive through the middle of the night, but they're like, the coaches got to Sioux Falls at, I want to say like 1130 and tip off was like, they had to be at the arena at like two. So they get there and they're basically immediately going through walkthrough and shoot around at the hotel. And none of them have slept. And it's just this insane uh, kind of scene of like, you know, I think one of the, the sayings in the G League is kind of no excuses, like whatever is thrown at you, you have to deal with. And yeah, I mean, scouts watching that game have no context around like this team just had a travel day from hell where they were, uh, you know, on three different flights or driving through the middle of the night and couldn't even sleep. But once you step on that court, like the only thing that matters is what you do on the court. 
Uh, and so to see kind of them go through, and, and I obviously was, was there as well, to see them go through that experience and then have to get ready for a game uh, that could be the difference between you getting called up and not. Like, uh, you know, that's another just insane aspect of life in the G League. Yeah, this I just I just did a story over the weekend of because uh, the Blazers just had their first open tryouts. Yeah, the Jalen Thomas story. For I the, read that man. That was an awesome story. Appreciate that man. But like Jalen Thomas, who is the co-owner of a store here called Back to the Basket, but which I'm sure a lot of my listeners who are in Portland have heard of or, or been to. Mm-hmm. But he was telling me about like playing in Armenia or playing in El Salvador, some of the low-level overseas leagues that he played in before he kind of took a step back from trying to play professionally. And he was saying the same thing where like these teams, if you get off, a, like you can get off a plane and have to play a game that night. And if you're not good, they don't care that you're jet lagged or you were just on a plane and the flying commercial thing. And this is also kind of, you know, G league teams fly commercial. This is kind of also getting into, you know, a lot of the controversy that's going on with the WNBA right now, where their yeah, players are absolutely. all fighting to get chartered flights and not have to fly commercial with the end with the G League, it's like the you know these players in a lot of cases are like six six to you know seven feet tall, and like somebody being that tall and having to sit in a commercial you know a coach seat, like because these guys are probably not getting first class upgrades either. So like no, there's a few times we hopped on flights and I find myself in like an aisle seat and I look back and like you know six eight guys sitting in a middle seat. I'm like, dude, take my seat. Let's, yeah. let's, let's swap here. I'm five eight. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it, it is crazy. I mean, th- these guys really do, like, they sit in middle seats. They're scrunched up in middle seats or, you know, whatever it is. And then they have to play. They're expected to play at, like, the, the top of their game. Either, you know, it could be the same day or the next day. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's real. I mean, the, the obstacles that you face, um, you know, even, like, small things like that. Uh, just dealing with, oh, we're at the airport for four hours because the flight got delayed. Or, oh, we have a long connection, uh, and now I'm sitting in a middle seat on a four-hour flight. Like, that, that stuff is all, you know, you, you might overlook it, but it all matters a lot. And, and uh, you know, it doesn't make the road any easier. So, um, yeah. What kind of feedback have you gotten from the squadron and from the G League and from the league since the book has kind of been done? And I'm sure like, like have any of the players you highlighted, like have they been able to read it or people in the organization or people in the league office, have you gotten any feedback from them about it? For sure. Yeah. So, uh, so all, all three, really the, the organization, the players, the league, um, you know, the feedback's been really positive. I I did want to paint, you know, obviously it's, it's was true to my experience, but my objective was not to slander the G league in any way. I, I really wanted to write about kind of the inspirational journey of, really everybody because everybody in the G League is trying to get to the NBA coaches, uh, executives, managers, announcers. Um, so my intention was, you know, to, to kind of capture what that pursuit is. And, and I think there's no, like nobody pretends that the G League is this like great place. Um, you know, I kind of, one of the, the sayings is that it's the place that nobody wants to be. Uh, so, you know, I, it, there are parts of the book that highlight kind of the, the obstacles you face, but everybody kind of admits that that's, that's what it is. Um, so the feedback's been really positive, uh, the league, the team, the players have been super supportive and, um, you know, that's just meant so much to me. And, uh, it's crazy. It was two years ago that like I, this whole thing started. So, um, you know, just for it to be two years later and people are still kind of keeping in touch with me and, 
uh, invested in it and care about it um, just means a lot. So it's been awesome so far. And this goes back to these players aren't covered a lot where like if you right. if you were writing a book and one of the subjects of the book was, let's just say, I don't know, uh, you know, Steph Curry, just to name like a super famous, popular yeah. NBA player that gets covered to death every single day. Right. He might not keep in touch with you every single day after you finish writing a book because not because he doesn't care, but because he just, you know, somebody like that is going to have so many more people pulling them in a million different directions and a lot more demands on their time. Whereas like Malcolm Hill or Joe Young is going to be like, this is the only person in the entire media that took the time to actually want to know my story and want to get to know me and want to write about me. And it's a little bit of a different type of connection when it's somebody at a lower level like that, who doesn't have that type of exposure. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine I've, I've written stories for slam about, uh, Steph Curry and Jason Tatum and kind of the superstars of the NBA. And, right. you know, you always kind of cross your fingers that they'll share it and, and help promote it. But, uh, you never expect that because these guys get these stories written about them all the time. Like you said, um, and again, it's not like an expectation on my part that these guys are going to share the book and promote it or anything like that. Right. It's just, I do think, like you said, like they, they're, they've never had their stories told. Like, like nobody's really, uh, you know, cared enough to, to kind of dive deep into all of the things that they're going through. Uh, you know, there might be a, a thing here and there about, you know, little details about their career, but this really, I hope paints a, a full picture of, uh, you know, their individual lives and just kind of what life in the G league is like. So, um, yeah, man, they've all been just so great. Uh, and, and it was such a great group. Like I got so lucky, I think just with the guys that I was covering. Um, so I think that they've been, uh, they've been, you know, open to, to really anything in terms of, uh, sharing it and talking about it and, you know, reaching out to me and just being supportive of it. So, uh, it's been awesome. Have you seen the documentary, the Amazon one? Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. I think it's like a, I think that documentary and your book are like perfect companion pieces to each other. Cause they kind of go over the same, uh, the same thing. And, and it's like, you know, you got like guys that have been in the league for a while or, and then are trying to get back in or guys that are trying to, uh, you know, or, or like guys that are like fighting for their first shot. And it's like show highlights like a lot of different guys at different points in their careers. And I think it's, I think a lot between those two things, I think it's a lot of good, like behind the scenes stuff. So